Another Way to Play, episode 12. Hey guys, this is Mike Troxell, the founder of Modern Financial Planning. And if you want to learn to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, then you should be listening to Another Way to Play with my good friend, Hans Strazina. Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the nine-to-five rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is Another Way to Play with your host, Hans Struzina. Welcome to Another Way to Play. I am your host, Hans Struzina. And I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today's guest is someone who is living that out to a T. He's my buddy, Mike Troxell, who's the founder and financial advisor at Modern Financial Planning, a fee-only financial planning firm. Uh, Mike works primarily with young families and tech professionals in and around the Bay Area, as well as across the United States. And he also lives here locally in Oakland with his wife and two children. In our conversation today, Mike and I talk about some really practical tips and advice on how to identify your passion. If you don't already know, listen for that. He'll give you some thoughts on on what to be aware of in your own conversations. He's also going to give us some really practical tips on taking a qualitative approach to a quantitative problem and vice versa. So make sure you keep your ears perked for that. And then he talks about his decision to leave the big firm, go out on his own and be a solopreneur and talks about identifying your worst case scenario, giving the boogeyman a name, as I put it. Definitely listen in for that if, if that's something you're considering doing and taking a leap out on your own. Uh, so as always, before we get into the meat of the interview, know that I would love to chat with you and get to know you better find out what it is that you're liking on the podcast, uh, what guests you like, who else we should bring on, what questions you want answered. Uh, So go in the show notes, find my Calendly link and book a 15 minute call with me so we can have a chat. Really would uh, love to get to know you and find out how I can make this podcast even better. And without any further ado, here is my conversation with Mike Troxell. All right, Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show today and appreciate you being a guest. Hans, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So we just heard about uh, your your basic intro, but why don't you build some context before we get into where you are today? Tell us, tell us where your journey started. Sure. Um, so you gave the intro. I'm a financial planner based out of Oakland, California. Well, I like to describe myself as a lifelong personal finance geek. You know, I don't think I really stumbled into this industry. I've always been really interested in people and money and finances. Um, and this, you know, this job, this career, this business is sort of the perfect intersection between that. Um, you know, it wasn't a perfect linear path, but I'm sure we'll we'll get into that on the show. Course, but yeah, uh, I, I stumbled my way along, and uh, here we are. Right on. So, um, thinking back to you said you've been a lifelong personal finance geek. Like when did that really resonate with you that you liked numbers and money and sort of, you know, accounting and all the other things that go along with, with being a personal finance geek? I have two specific memories that pop in mind when you ask that question. One is just numbers based. Um, you know, growing up as a, as a young kid, I was a really obsessed with sports and I would always read the sports section every day. And I had an odd ability to remember like every statistic from, you know, every player and almost every sport. Um, and so, and so that's one memory that pops in mind as far as, you know, a, a talent or a knack for numbers. You know, you know, I'm the weird guy that, you know, meets somebody once or twice, but I, you know, I don't remember their name, but I remember their birthday or their anniversary or something like that. Um, the second memory that comes to mind more finance related is you know growing up whenever we would get birthday gifts or christmas gifts from family um in money form you know i would always save it and never spend it uh and, you know on the opposite side of the house my sister was more the spender and that sort of uh, one memory related to that i was w- with my mom as a young kid 
walking into a bank to finally set up a bank account. And I had, you know, at the time, what felt like a million dollars, but I think it was like 600 bucks of cash from singles and fives and tens and twenties just saved up over the years that I was holding in my hand, sort of like under my armpit with my, with my arms crossed, um, you know, handing it to the banker. And they were sort of you know, surprised that, uh, like, a, I, don't, I don't know how old I was, maybe 10 years old was carrying this kind of cash. And um, I did not come from money at all. And it's, my family did not have any money. So this, uh, this was a very large sum uh, to us. As you went through your, your development through, you know, your formative years in junior high, high school, college, like where, where did you take the leap to being sort of numbers based and excited about money to actually deciding to make that a career? Yep. So, so good question. Um, in my, in my, my knack for numbers and, and talent with math uh, wasn't really correlated with my, my grades in math. Um, you know, I was the type of kid that would get a C on a math test because I didn't show my answer, like show, you know, show my work on the test. I would sort of, I would kind of just write the answer. Um, so I never really had the, the greatest grades in school. I'd say, say I was a mediocre student and my grades were always directly correlated with my effort. You know, there, there was years where I, you know, usually the first couple of years of high school or college, I would slack and let my grades slip. And the last two years I would ramp it up and get good grades and it would sort of balance out. Um, so I was always, you know, again, numbers focused, even in college, studied finance and accounting. But um, my, you know, my minor devi deviation was right after college. Uh, you know, like a lot of folks our age, graduating, you know, at the height of the financial crisis. And oh, yeah, a lot of people were not getting jobs, uh, especially in finance. So I went away from finance right after school. I was looking, you know, there was some large companies that had, um, you know, some people call them management training programs or leadership development programs, mm -hmm. uh, or, or it's like a two-year program and they, they bounce you around in different, you know, divisions of the company and different, uh, you know, different jobs and operations and sales and whatnot. Um, so given that my, you know, the finance carpet was sort of pulled out from under me, I thought that was a good option. It was, uh, you know, maybe become a jack of all trades, be exposed to different parts of a business or industry. So I went that route and it wasn't, I wasn't there for more than a year, um, before I started getting the itch and, you know, also reading internet blogs or podcasts about, I, don't, I guess that was pre podcasting days uh, about following your passion and what you're interested in. And, um, so shortly after that, I, I sort of, I went back to my roots, um, got an accounting job, then moved into wealth management, and, and then started my own firm last year. Right on. So it's always been in your blood um, to, to be part of a wealth management, in, in that wealth management world, it seems, and you, you definitely followed your passion back to it. If, oddly enough, though, you, you, you use the word passion and numbers and money and accounting in the same sentence, which I think most people would not do. What is something that you feel like sets you apart from those who, who don't have that passion for it? Uh, you know, that, that's, a, that's a tough question. I would say, and, so, and some of the passion is, you know, is, is knowing that's what you're interested in. And the other is sort of doing, uh, doing some homework or research on yourself, meaning, you know, what do people talk to me about? Like when I'm talking to someone or speaking with somebody or get to know somebody, you know, where does the conversation generally go? And is it, you know, is it cars? Is it the weather? Is it technology? Is it clothing? And for me, you know, for some reason, it, it always ends up going towards finances. And, you know, if someone talks about buying a home, I'm interested in, you know, the market or what type of mortgage they got or this or that. And so that, that's one, I don't know if it sets me apart, but it's one, one difference just because it's, it's my interest, right? Um, totally. And there's a thread there that I, I've found now having done a bunch of these interviews with people that is worth pulling on because you, 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 you hit on a really interesting point. Um, understanding where your conversations go typically, especially around strangers, I imagine, when you're trying to make conversation and figure out what to, what to say. Um, 
you you've noticed that yours go to finance in some form or fashion, whether that's a mortgage or returns you're getting, or maybe stocks you're picking or whatever, but you, you, you noticed that for yourself and then decided, Hey, like, let's do that for a living. Exactly. And sometimes though, you know, those things are easy to figure out if you, if you take the time, the time and think about it. Um, so, you know, what, what do your, you know, for example, what do your friends ask you about? You know, are your, are you the person that your friends always ask you money questions or technology questions or clothing questions or health questions like that? You know, that's a decent indicator about sort of what your interest is. Dude, that's some really awesome practical advice on how to figure that out because I think there's so many people who sort of do what they think they're supposed to do, but then there's this conflicting advice out there about, um, follow your passion. And then they're like, well, how the hell do I even know what my passion is? Or am I passionate about this? But you, I think if you can take a step back in your day-to-day life and talk and, and sort of sit above yourself and listen to what it is you like to talk about, you've just hit that on the head and knocked it out of the park with it is that it, it's, it's where your, your conversations go uh, most often is, is probably a good indication of maybe what you should pursue in your day-to-day life. So you, you started with a bigger firm and then ultimately started your own firm about a year ago. So um, what made you decide to take that leap ultimately to go out on your own? Because I mean, I would argue that most people who go out on their own maybe are a bit older or have a bit more experience or, or what have you. And the people who are generally younger might think that it may be too early. Like what made you decide to, to pull the trigger and do it? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a, a lot to unpack there. I mean, first and foremost, it's working for myself is something that's always been on my mind. Again, why? I, I, don't, I don't know. It might be because there's, there's a few folks in my family that own their own businesses and on a very, very small scale. Like, you know, as a kid, my mom, she ran her own cl- uh, house cleaning business. And just seeing the sort of freedom and flexibility that was, you know, that, that was attractive to me. You know, there was no getting up every day, putting on the same outfit every day, doing the same commute every day, every day. You know, she had the freedom and flexibility. And, you know, if I had an event, um, you know, she could always attend, you know, and later on she moved on from the cleaning business and went to another business, but you know, similar, whether it's graduations or, or grandkids that are being born across the country, you know, she has that flexibility. And so that's always been attractive to me. Uh, and I think in this business, um, you know, both, you know, finance in general, right? Accounting, tax, fi- uh, wealth management, um, you know, that's something that, you know, you can have a flexible career and it's sort of, you know, whenever you want to do the work and whenever clients are available to meet, uh, that's when you have to work. Um, and running your own business, you just have more control, more flexibility. You know, as far as making that leap, it was extremely difficult. Um, it's you know, what I like to say is it's a lot easier to talk about skydiving or, or dream about skydiving um, than it is to actually jump out of the plane. And, you know, when your feet are sort of dangling there out of the plane, it's a little bit of a different mindset and a different fear than, you know, sitting on bar, listening to an entrepreneurship podcast and dreaming about owning your own business. It's, it's, it's a bit different. Completely. Um, and, you know, I, I could, I guess keep going a bit and there, and there's two, I mean, there's two main things that there's a couple of things that sort of helped push me over the edge. And one was, you know, more, you know, spending more time in the, in, in the industry, more time around very talented people and just discovering that people are, you know, if you spend time in an industry and if, and if you're very well versed, you know, the, the people that are maybe more successful than you, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily smarter than you or better than you. Um, a lot of the times you have the same knowledge they do or, or even more. Um, and just spending my time around smart, savvy people in the business and realizing what, like, wow, I could, I could kind of, I can hang with these people. Um, that gave me confidence too was, I think it was something I heard from Tim Ferriss maybe. And it's, you know, really do a deep dive analysis on the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, something I, I like to think about sometimes quantitative decisions need a, a little bit more of a qualitative approach. And sometimes qualitative decisions need a more quantitative approach. And so in this situation, it was a, a more of a quantitative, appro- you know, quantitative problem 
right? Thinking about uh, a job or a business or, or, you know, future earnings or your expenses or can I grow this business? But so that's more of a, I guess, qualitative, right? And then thinking from, yeah. from a quantitative standpoint, what is the worst case scenario? Let's kind of, let's dive down and, and analyze this. If I don't get enough clients, what is going to, ha- to happen? Am I going to, you know, die? Am I going to, is my spouse going to leave me? Are my kids going to leave me? No, it's, well, I'm going to go back to probably doing what I was doing before, you know, working as an advisor at another company, making, mm-hmm. making the same amount of money as before. My worst case scenario is I learn a lot about myself and I lose a bit of, you know, I lose some money, but I don't lose everything. Um, and so just really doing an honest assessment and thinking, wow, the worst case scenario is not that bad. You know, why not pull the trigger? Absolutely. And I honestly, that's something I did with starting this podcast is identify like, what is the worst case scenario? I, I get to have conversations with really interesting and cool people that I wouldn't otherwise get to have. You know, I get my name out there a little bit, spend some time and, and learn a new skill. And I, I did the exact same thing when I was deciding whether to, to go down this rabbit hole. And um, it sounds like that's exactly what you did. And I think that's a really practical way is like, give, give the boogeyman a face and a shape and a name and like really identify who that person is. And if it's and at the end, it's probably ultimately not that scary. Exactly. And, and there's one other thing I did that I think is, might be interesting to your listeners. And I never really finished this, but I, I made a Google spreadsheet and I called it um, my personal balance sheet. Okay. And techn- technically the title is my, my, it's my draft personal balance sheet. <laughs> never finished. Um, but I listed out a few topics, um, health, relationships, finances, time, work, career, and physical stuff. And again, this is, uh, it's very rough, but it, but it made me be able to think about some stuff. And so, so what I did was I gave myself a grade in a lot of these categories. Like for example, health, physical health, mental health, relationships, my marriage, my children, family, friends, you know, my financial situation, how strong of a financial situation am I in? Time, how much control do I have over my time? How efficient am I with my time? Um, you know, in my career, am I providing value? Am I being creative? Am I developing, growing? So that's sort of the gist of it. And, and when, I, when I did this and looked at it, I realized that financially, that was my highest rated um, category. And the other categories were very, very low. And when I say highest rated, I mean, you know, I wasn't spending a lot of money. I was earning good money. You know, it wasn't lucrative, but I was earning good money. Um, you know, I was saving for my retirement. You know, life was good. But as far as physical health, mental health, you know, I'm commuting almost an hour each way a day. I'm sitting in my seat nine hours a day. I'm barely working out. Um, you know, as far as my kids, or I guess child at the time, now two kids. I was barely seeing my daughter every day and I was super as present as I could be when I was home and I was present on the weekends, but you know, during the day I, with the plus with the commute, you know, I'd see her for, you know, we'll call it less than 30 minutes a day. Yeah. Um, you know, my time was I, did I, was I in control of my time and, and efficient with my time? No, I was not in control of it. And I wasn't being efficient with it either. You know, being working in an office with a lot of people is great, but you get a lot of interruptions. So anyway, I could go down the list. But sure. I thought that was interesting. And sort of when I evaluated taking the leap, I, I realized that every area would immediately increase in my sort of one to 10 rating, health, uh, relationships, time, work. Um, the only area that would hit or be hit initially was financial was, you know, I would be making less money, right? I took a hundred percent pay cut. Right. Um, but if you save enough money, you obviously can sort of buffer that. So, totally. so is it worth it? You know, I asked myself, well, is it worth it to take this leap? And again, worst case scenario, I improve, you know, nine out of 10 categories. Um, so that, 
that seemed like an easy decision as well. Man, that is some really awesome practical advice. Uh, taking the quantitative approach to a qualitative problem and, and literally spreadsheeting it out. I've, I've actually done that exercise when I was deciding to um, leave a beer job that I was set and then do a, go into another sales job. And I, I did something very similar. And then the answer was boom, right there. <laughs> it was basically made for me. And I think if the, if the audience is deciding on something like that, then they should go through that exercise because it will, it's, it's amazing what happens when you take something out of the kind of ether of your brain and of, you know, your thoughts and put it onto a spreadsheet or a piece of paper and how different that experiences with it all of a sudden. Yep. Completely agree. So would you say that going through that exercise was the moment you realized there was another way to play or was there something before that, that, that really got your gears turning um, to decide to go on your own? Yeah, I think, you know, I think there was a lot of, a lot of things, right. Um, That sort of change your mindset and make you start thinking another way. Um, You know, honestly, podcasts just like this i think we're we're a huge driver and there you know there's years where i'm driving you know i'm I'm sitting on bar i'm commuting back and forth and i'm listening to podcasts just like this and uh you know after hundreds of them they start to get hardwired in your brain and um you know people talking about entrepreneurship or starting businesses um and also sort of economic trends and what it means and I, i was very interested in um, after a couple of podcasts, I, for, I forget which one, you know, maybe, uh, James Altucher comes to mind, maybe, you know, him and Tim Ferriss mm-hmm. obviously have a lot of podcasts, um, about being control in control of yourself. And I think James, you know, says it as like choosing yourself versus, um, being, you know, working for a company and working for a company, it seems safer but in reality, 100% of your income is tied to that one company. And there, you know, there could be a day where that, you know, your boss or someone decides that, hey, you're, um, you're done. You're done here. And, and, and there goes your, your earning power. Versus, you know, as you say, another way to play, working for yourself. In my situation or in your situation, you, know, you could have 100 clients. And if one or a few decide that you're fired, you know, you still have the majority of your business. So I think, um, you know, again, there's been a lot of, a lot of things throughout my life and career that have sort of pointed me in this direction. But I think, uh, you know, this interview wouldn't, uh, it it wouldn't be wise of me to, you know, go through this entire interview without mentioning podcasts, just like this one, uh, sort of reframing your mind a little bit and and, uh, thinking about things differently. That's awesome. Well, there's certainly a few elements that you've you've brought out in your story of um, noticing some things about yourself, where your conversations go naturally, uh, and then self-educating and trying to improve and see and just pull on some threads and say, "Hey, this is interesting. Let's keep let's keep listening or let's keep reading on this this topic." And then ultimately, as you said, you you rewired your brain to to decide to take this leap and, and get out there and do it for yourself. Um, it's it's really, I mean, it's honestly a in, really inspiring story because on I don't know how I would handle that because I have honestly never had a W two job. I've always sort of been on my own, so I I really don't totally know what that's like. But I can I can only imagine. And having talked to people like you, it sounds like it would be something that a lot of people want to want to rethink. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess my, my story isn't complete without mentioning my wife. Um, you know, she's a blindly supportive uh, to a fault and B she took a job to sort of help lighten the load when I left my last firm. And when she did that, there was a essentially like a three week need where she was going through a lot of training during those first three weeks, you know, beyond that, it was a part-time job. Mm-hmm. Um, but those first three weeks were pretty intense. And so we had a, a big gap in childcare and our, our daughter needed more childcare for those three weeks. And yep. that was one sort of added reason and one added excuse for me 
to you know jump out of the plane uh, as I sort of used the example earlier um, because my you know, my my child needed childcare um, so there was a a lot of factors and I you know like it's easy for me to look back and maybe pat myself on the back but you know if she wasn't as supportive um, and if she didn't take the leap moving into that job um, which covered benefits and whatnot and you know thus you know giving us that sort of childcare gap. Uh, you know, maybe I would have dragged my feet a little more and um, and not taken the leap, but I, I, I sort of uh, sort of had to jump as I needed to, you know, open up daddy daycare for a few weeks. That's awesome. So you you ultimately sort of had that thing that kind of pushed you out of the nest, and in this case, it was it was taking care of your daughter. Exactly. That 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 was the that was the big timing component, like sort of why I left my last firm on like this specific date. It's because of my daughter, um, you know, otherwise it would have, again, dragged on for months. And you, you've talked about your daughter and, and spending time with your family and your wife a few times so far. So I'm curious how you would, how you define freedom for yourself. Sure. That's, that's a great question. Um, I think it's optionality or, you know, just having more control over your time and actions. You know, it's not necessarily, you know, it's not necessarily, taking advantage of that or doing, you know, whatever you want or waking up whenever you, you want, but it's, I think having control or having the option uh, over your time and actions. And, you know, for example, if you are, there's nothing, you know, I'm not against working for other people or other companies. I think, I think it's a, you know, I think it's a, a great way to go for a lot of people, but you know, if you're unhappy in your job and you, you know, are having to commute and you're having to dress and having to act in a certain way, all day long, every day, you know, sit in the same exact chair all day, every day for 49, 50 weeks a year, you know, fighting through sick days, for example, to save on that PTO. Um, you know, that, that doesn't strike me as like a, you know, as freedom, I guess. So I guess having a totally. little, little more options, a little, little more control um, and sort of it's, it's different for everybody. Absolutely. It totally is different, but, but ha it sounds like having a, a ability to decide on where you spend your time. Um, not so much that like, as you said, you sleep in or you, you know, you wake up late, but you just have a, have an ability to kind of control your flow of your day um, and work when your clients need you and, and not when they don't. Exactly. And even using you as an example, like if you worked for another company that was maybe a bit more strict and they got wind of the podcast, they, they, they could in theory shut that down and be like, you know, now it's going to reflect, you know, poorly on us or this or that. And right. But, you know, in your situation, like you basically work for yourself and you have the freedom and optionality to, to explore this avenue. And, um, I think it's, I think it's incredible. Absolutely. So going back to uh, something you said, which is if you have some savings uh, ready to go, you can, you can kind of take this leap um, with less fear, I suppose you, you can kind of financially plan for it. And being that you're a financial planner, you, you deal with people's finances all the time. Are there some, for someone who's considering you know, maybe going out on their own or picking up a side hustle or something that might sort of disrupt their flow of their W-2 world. Like, what would you give them advice on as, as far as like, here's some ways to, some strategies to think through and how to set yourself up for that step? Mm -hmm. I, I think it comes, a lot of it comes back to spending. And I, I think a lot of people need to reframe spending and saving money. You know, it's easy it's easy to see someone who's maybe more frugal or doesn't spend a lot and, and, you know, look at them and think they're, you know, they're restricting themselves or they're right there. They're missing out or they're, you know, fill, fill in the blank. Right. Right. But, uh, but I love saving money and when people are good savers because it, it goes back to that optionality. It gives them options and freedom. You know, if you, you know, no, nothing in this, and this is sort of interesting to me because it almost directly takes money out of my pocket, but there's nothing I love more than having clients that have, have been really, really good savers. And they say, you know, I'm going to leave my job and take a few months off and just sort of, you know, think through things, figure stuff out, um, figure out what I want to do next. 
And I love that, you know, they're in a space financially that they have the ability to do that. And again, it goes back to saving money. Like they, how did they get there? You know, I don't know, right, in their specific situation, but it's, you know, maybe living, you know, a little cheaper, living in a slightly cheaper apartment, maybe eating out a little less, maybe buying one or two rounds of drinks less per month, traveling a little less. Um, so I think it comes down to saving money. And when you do spend money, in theory, you want to be very intentional about it. You know, I'm very, very pro spending money um, in an intentional manner, right? If you, absolutely, you know, if you hate drinking and hate going out and hate being hungover, but your friends like to do it. And every weekend you say you don't want to do it anymore and you're done drinking, but every month on your credit card bill, there's 840 bucks of, you know, expenses from going out. Well, you know, that to me is like not intentional spending. Um, so I think if you, if you get your house in order, if you save money, then it gives you more, again, optionality, more freedom in order to make certain decisions, whether it's take time off work, start a business, um, invest in something. Um, and I think that can pay off dividends down the road. Yeah. I mean, I, just, just that simple act of sort of taking an accounting of what you are spending and then deciding like, do I need it? Uh, my, f uh, well, girlfriend at the time, now wife, uh, when we moved in, I didn't, we didn't have a TV cause she didn't. And I was like, Oh my gosh, how am I going to watch football on Sundays? And I, since moving in with her in 2015 have not gotten a TV and we don't have that expense and we we have yet to miss it because I there's so many streaming services that I can get for the season and that sort of thing. So I went from like, oh, I need a TV because of football to I spend $90 a season total uh, on getting my football streaming into the computer. Yeah, no, I think that's a, it's a great example. And I think that's, that's great guidance for somebody financially. It's harder to do, to do but I think, it's, I think it's incredible. It's a, it's almost like an elimination diet, right? It's like take out, you know, all of certain types of food. I don't know, like dairies, you know, dairy nuts, uh, you know, whatever, and then sort of slowly add it back in. And I think that's an extreme, but great way to something to, to do with your finances is sort of cut everything, you know, starting today, live bare bones, and then add back in the things you really need or miss. Mm -hmm. and you'd be surprised, just like your cable bill, that it's like, oh, I didn't really care about that anyway. Yeah. Um, I think we just live, it's, this is, we're sort of traipsing into the world of minimalism now, but um, there's such a culture of like, I need it. I want it. It's, you know, more, 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 but we never, or never, we, we rarely slow down and be like, but do I need it? Um, not to get totally like into the vegetarian thing, but there was a really great uh, quote on a, on a, uh, forks over knives or food ink or one of those uh, food documentaries where the guy was like, Hey, we can take a satellite and we can like map out how to best plant corn in this field to optimize it to, to, to feed to cows. But no one's asking, should we be feeding corn to cows? <laughs> and it was like going back to that, like intentionality. And I, and I, that story just reminds me of it. And I think that's similar to what you're, what you're talking about. Right, right. And, and I always want to, uh, you know, I definitely need to reframe my messaging a little bit because I have heard from some clients before where they're like, oh, you're, you're not going to like this. I'm like, oh, what? And they're like, oh, we're, you know, I spent $8,000 on this vacation. And I'm like, no, no, no. I, I, I love that. Like, I want, I want people to spend money on the areas they like. You know, I don't want people to save every dollar. Um, it's sort of the, uh, you know, the blind spending, or like totally. you said, maybe, you know, or almost like blind eating and just kind of shoving food in your mouth, not really understanding what it is. Um, you know, it's, I've heard people reference, uh, you know, looking at your dollars as like little soldiers and giving them each a, a job. And, you know, some of their job is maybe to invest and some is to save and some is maybe to go on vacation. Um, I want people to get the most out of their dollars. And that doesn't mean saving every dollar. Um, you know, wasting, 
you know, wasting less gives you again, more options. Um, totally. But uh, Hey, money is a tool. So, so use it. So I, I need to reframe my messaging. I, I, I don't yeah. want people to save every, every dollar. Totally. And I, I have a mentor uh, who, who has reframed money for me um, in, in the form of energy. He said, think of, think of money as more of just a representation of energy, because really it's like you take your time you do a service or you create a product and then you sell it and someone gives you money. So you've taken this effort and you've manifested it into a dollar. And he's like, on the flip side, like how does that energy being used? Like, would you, you know, spend your energy on, you know, cheeseburgers or what, you know, French fries, or would you spend it on, um, you know, investing in yourself and, or beer, as you put it, beers out on the weekend, or would you rather put it to saving it for a down payment on a house or an investment property or a stock account or something? And when you start to reframe what money actually is, I think it might change your, your thinking on the way you spend it. Exactly. No, I think that's a, that's a good way to, to put it. One, um, I don't want to get drive you too, too off track, but one, one tool or one method I, I've seen that can help people sort of frame it is you know we 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 look at our salaries as these like big fat fancy pre-tax numbers right it's right um you know nobody you know if your salary is a hundred grand for example you're not actually seeing a hundred grand but in your mind you're you're thinking about this big fat number everybody knows their salary nobody knows what they're saving um not even me it's like nobody knows um but if you were able to break down your annual savings into sort of an hourly savings rate. Um, for example, um, $10,000 of savings a year is $5 per hour of work is what you're saving. And so reframing it in that sense, it allows you to maybe think about your spending a little differently, just like energy, like you were saying, you know, if I'm spending, for example, $50 on the, or like I spent a hundred bucks on this microphone for this podcast, you know, that's what, that's 20 hours of work for me. You know, if I'm looking at it, you know, saving $5 per hour, um, you know, is this microphone worth 20 hours of work or two and a half days of work for me? Um, you know, I have to, I'd have to answer that question. Right. And I think um, you, you can fill in the blank. So an hour, totally. of, hour of work is similar to what you're saying as, as far as energy goes, it's, you know, yeah. is, it, is it worth that much energy? And maybe the answer is no. And it goes back to your spreadsheet example. It's like take that qualitative, as you so aptly put it, uh, a decision or problem and give it a quantitative solution. And this is really, you're, you're taking money and you're turning it into a physical hour of labor. Like that is such a great practical tip. And I think this is flowing through your, through your conversation here with, with me today um, so interestingly. A quick question. We're getting towards the end of the time, but I, I, I am curious what you would say about this. Um, if you could write a semester's worth of curriculum for every student in America to take, uh, what age would you implement it and what would it be? Oh, God, that's a, that's a great question. Um, a semester of curriculum for a certain age and what would it be? Um, I guess, the, you know, the first thing that popped to mind is, you know, college age kids. And I think they're um, you know, old enough to be somewhat m mature in their learning. And I think some sort of, um, in, I guess in the semester, some sort of starting a business, um, you know, sales, public speaking, present, presenting, like those, those sort of skills um, that comes to mind. And then when you're, thinking about it younger, say third grade, I, the semester would be anything you are interested in, dive as deep into it as you can and you want and learn as much about it as possible. And for some people that would be sports and other people it might be flowers. Um, other people it might be politics or history or, or video games. I think allowing someone to dive as deep as they want into a certain topic is, you know, could be life-changing for their, um, you know, life and their career as far as learning goes, right? A lot of education is you need to learn, you know, this, 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 and this, and mm -hmm. you know, in history and English and math and, and only, only this amount in each 
topic. And, you know, this is particularly top of mind for me with, with a young child, right? And totally you know, education is, um, you know, there's a lot of data that supports it's, you know, it's structured in a somewhat archaic way. And I think technology is slowly starting to disrupt that. And that's a super interesting topic. And that's what I would want for my own, you know, my own kids is, you know, my, you know, my daughter, for example, she's two and she's super curious about certain things. And even just walking around the block, being really interested in, in flowers. And, you know, I would love it if when she goes to school, if that curiosity is, is embraced and she's sort of allowed to go extremely deep into uh, a certain topic. And I think that would you know, sort of teach you how you learn and how learning is fun and learning is cool. Um, so I guess that would be my answer. Love it. Well, thank you for, for bringing that up. I, that is not what I thought you were going to say, but I'm glad you did. <laughs> So we're going to transition into the focus five, which is our uh, five questions that I ask every guest on every show. And I'm definitely excited to hear what you have to say. Are you ready? Let's do it. Beautiful. Uh, first question is, what book have you gifted most often? So these, uh, let's see, I guess I would go with the, you know, I would vote along party lines here and say the millionaire next door. Mm. Have you read it? I have not, but I've heard a few synopsis of it uh, on various shows and podcasts. Yep. Yeah. I think, I think it's a good book and it's it certainly, I guess if I had to sum it up in a, in a sentence, it would be, it, it sort of dispels the myth, the myths of, of millionaires um, and sort of a, a funny nerdy finance joke. You know, it was released, I don't know, 20 years ago. And so now if it was rewritten today, a million dollars then is actually like $1.66 million today because of inflation. So anyway, that's, that's sort of a joke, but you know, it, it's a study into millionaires in America and it shows uh, what kind of cars they drive, what kind of neighborhoods they live in, what kind of jobs they have. And it's, you know, they, they don't all live in mansions in Ferraris and people that do live in mansions and Ferraris are more likely to be, you know, maybe in debt, you know, in credit card debt than be millionaires. <laughs> Um, and if you're, you know, if you're married and if you have you know, two kids and if your spouse is a teacher and you're, you know, a middle manager and you live in a mediocre neighborhood and drive a seven-year-old car, you know, you're more likely, you know, based on this book to be a millionaire than the, the Ferrari. So interesting. So now if I ever walk by fancy cars, Instead of thinking, oh, wow, it's a cool car. I think, oh, man, that person might be in credit card debt. That sucks. Well, I'm definitely, you've convinced me to finally get it on my list. It, it's been in the back of my mind, but I will definitely put it on the list here uh, going forward. If you could get an hour of anybody's time, past or present, alive or dead, and ask them as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? So I think this is, uh, like some of your questions, there. this is a a fun and difficult question. And I was trying to look at it from two angles. One is from like a joy perspective, like who would I really enjoy speaking with? Uh, and the other is from an impact perspective. Um, I couldn't, you know, think of a, a great one on the, on the joy side, you know, I'm not like a history buff or anything. So I guess as far as impact goes, um, you know, from a philanthropic point of view, you know, maybe Bill Gates, uh, or, uh, obviously the, the president of the United States, like those, those two people have a lot of power in the world, you know, one from a financial and philanthropic point of view and the other from a, you know, political um, point of view. So I think, you know, having an hour of one of their times, like maybe, maybe that discussion could lead to something bigger and, and potentially impact millions of people um, around the world or maybe not. Right. Um, right. That was, that was sort of my logic. Cool. Well, thank you for that. Um, what is one thing that you believe that most people would disagree with you on? Uh, I think, again, this is a super, super tough question, right? And uh, there's a lot of different ways you, you could go about it. You know, it's, it's easy in the Bay Area to have a, a belief politically that, that, that people disagree with. Totally. But... Um, I guess something I encounter in my, in my job is, uh, you know, it's really hard to, to fathom what we're going to do in certain situations. 
And how that applies is, you know, for example, during, you know, th there's research that's, that supports that a, you know, a risk, um, a risk tolerance questionnaire it doesn't make sense to give to a client because, you know, they're not in a state to properly answer the questions. Meaning, you know, if they're in a good mood, they're going to answer differently versus a bad mood. Um, or if the market's doing well, or if the market's doing poorly, they're going to answer it differently. And I think now, especially, you know, when you're asking people how they may or may not act during a market downturn or a crash or recession or whatever you want to call it, you know, most people say, oh, you know, I'm not, that's fine. I understand. I'm, I'm not going to panic. Um, and I, and I completely disagree. And so, you know, when I, when I frame the question and I've started to say that, you know, I started to sort of preface, preface it with everybody thinks they will not. And that's not saying I'm better or worse than anybody, you know, I'll, I'll panic myself. And I, th and I think the, the reason why is uh, social pressure and, you know, maybe even, even tribalism, right? But, you know, when the market's down, it's one thing. But when, you know, everything you hear on the news and every person you talk to and all of your friends and neighbors and colleagues and bosses and people you trust and look up to, when they're panicking, it's sort of, you know, you, you are in turn going to panic, right? A lot of times people would rather be wrong with the crowd than right and alone. You know, at that point, you know, do you want to be the person that holds on and then what if you're wrong? Like you're going to look like an idiot and you're going to feel so stupid because everybody told you to do otherwise. But if you, you know, in turn sort of panic and sell out and you're wrong with everybody, it, you know, it, it hurts a little less, right? Um, so I guess that's, you know, in my own profession, that's what I see. A lot of people think they're not going to panic. And just again, studies show, numbers say like 10 out of 10 people are not going to remain calm, right? Maybe... <laughs> three three out of ten right yeah um, again nobody is immune to it uh, you know i'm not immune to it so i'm not i'm not trying to project at all but uh i guess that that's my answer to that question totally so give us a glimpse of your morning routine so this is a this is a, a fun question and and obviously when i when i hear this i think of all the podcasts i've listened to or people are getting up in the morning and you know, running a marathon and meditating for two hours and journaling for another hour and eating, you know, X, Y, Z for another hour. And then they finally get to their desk at 6 a.m. Um, but after I sort of giggle at that, I realize my, my own morning routine is, uh, is a sort of cliche and in a lighter version of that. Um, I've been doing a little bit of a workout routine in the morning, some push-ups, sit-ups, and kettlebell swings. Um, going a little bit deeper in that, I'm, I'm calling it daddy development, and I'm uh, you know I'm, I'm partaking in this with a few buddies uh, as a part of a group chat. My my wife invented it as uh, calling it mommy maintenance. Uh, it was her way post-pregnancy for number one and number two to sort of get back in shape. Um, and so we both have our, you know, after two kids now, I've, I've realized, oh shit, okay, I, I should get in shape. So I'm doing daddy development and uh, it started out in, in embarrassing fashion, 30 push-ups, sit-ups and kettlebell swings per day, every day for a week, upping it by 10 each week. So right now, as we record this, I'm almost done with my 60 week and on Saturday, I'll start my 70 week. Um, sort of beyond that, I like to do a you know a drip a slow drip coffee my Chemex uh, and I finish my sort of cliche podcast answer is I I finish my shower with a cold water blast um, you know usually like thirty to sixty seconds I find it uh, alerts me a bit more it wakes me up a bit more um, after my first child was born I, and I was super groggy in the mornings going to work I started doing it because I need to to liven up a bit for the office. Um, so I guess that's my morning routine, a little bit, of a small workout, a nice, uh, drip coffee, pour over and, uh, a cold water blast in the morning. Love it. That's a trifecta right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Mike, tell us, uh, what's the best place that the audience can connect with you online? Sure. Uh, I think Twitter's probably the best, the best way I've been trying to be a little more active on there, although I'm still very passive. Um, I think it's my, my favorite platform to connect with 
uh, other people, other professionals. So my, you know, they could look me up by my name on Twitter or my handle is, you know, it's my business. It's at modern FP, FP for financial planning. So at modern FP. And uh, yeah, if, if anybody wants to interact with me on there, uh, that'll be a good excuse for me to uh, reciprocate and get, get involved a bit more. Right on. So uh, hit Mike up on Twitter. It's at modernfp.com. And his last name has two L's at the end, T-R-O-X-E-L-L, if you do care to, to search his name instead. So Mike, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. You've, you've really provided some awesome answers and some awesome thoughts for our audience to think through practically potentially stepping into their next chapter and uh, finding their next way to play. Um, before we sign off, do you have any, ins any thoughts or anything you'd like to leave the audience with? It was great, Hans. Thanks so much for having me. You know, I can't, you know, I, I can't think of uh, any, any, any good, good parting guidance, but it was, uh, it was a pleasure and I uh, hope to be on again uh, down the road. Absolutely. Well, we will definitely circle back with you and have you back on as a guest sometime in the future. And until next time, uh, we're going to sign it off. So thanks for being on here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Another Way to Play with my guest, Mike Troxel. He is a really awesome guy and someone who's got some pretty great ideas on financial planning and thoughts on how to set yourself up for that next step. Uh, so you can reach out to him on his website or on Twitter. His Twitter handle is modernfp. So that's at Modern FP for financial planning. Uh, and he you can interact with them there. And I have all of that in the show notes. And while you're in the show notes, make sure you get on my calendar for a 15-minute call. I'd love to get to know you. I'd love you to get to know me a little bit and uh, to learn what you're liking in the podcast, how I can make it better, what other guests I should bring on, and if there are some questions that you wish I would start asking. So I'm going to get out of here. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, this is Hans Strazina, your host for Another Way to Play. And remember, make every chapter better than the last. Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at ChiefSNAH on Instagram, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play. Thank you.